0: very welcome to another episode of get around to it thanks a million for your patience during our brief hiatus we both had a bit of life admin to sort out babies and houses and all that exciting stuff you do in your mid-30s but now we're back and the good news is we've loads of stuff to talk about this month um, so thanks for sticking with us. If you're an old school listener you'll know the score by now and if you're a new listener, because we've had some really nice mentions in a few places uh, like the Irish Independent and Head Stuff over the last few months, Get Around To It is an arts and culture podcast where myself and Aoife, hi Aoife, hello, that's Aoife Barry, my co-host, talk about the TV and music and movies and books that we've been enjoying lately, regardless of whether it's new or not, it's just stuff that we've finally gotten around to so I think that pretty much covers EVA, right?
1: Yeah definitely it's great to be back <laughs> yeah um, it's great and it's kind of it's great to be here chatting to you after a good few months and uh, getting to chat about what we've been watching and listening to because I've been really itching for these conversations so and I think we have yeah. some maybe controversial things to say or plenty to Ooh. chat about at the few things that we're, we're going to be talking about today so we're going to be weighing into maybe some debates about Sally Rooney and things like that. I believe. Yeah,
0: I'm. I'm actually interested to hear what your your thoughts are on. Well, will we start with Sally Rooney? Will we yes. start with books this month?
1: Yes. Let's start with books because um, we'll go into film and uh, so we go to TV. We've no films actually. I think this month. Um, no. Weirdly for us, well, next month we might have more films, you never know. So yeah, we'll start with Sally, then go into some TV and we'll finish off with some music. So we've loads of cultural stuff for you to enjoy. So yeah, I'll let you kick off with Sally Rooney because she was your choice um, this month and we both read the book and I think we both have lots of thoughts. So tell us first maybe, what is this book about if people haven't read it?
0: Well, it's, it's Sally Rooney's third book. It's called Beautiful, Wor- Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I have to say, first of all, the title, someone mentioned on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but they they can't hear the this. They can't read the title of the book without hearing Mr. Tumble's voice doing "Beautiful World, Where Are You." So every time I hear that title now, I hear it in Mr. Tumble's voice. And if you don't know who Mr. Tumble is, count yourself lucky. I don't anyway, know who
1: Mr. Tumble is, but that's the don't have children. Okay. I suspect. Yes,
0: Jesus Christ. Anyway. Uh, I digress majorly. The book, yeah, I'm going to discuss is her one. It's one that I was anticipating. I'd say for most of 2021, I pre-ordered it months and months in advance. I was expecting great things from it and I finally finished it the other day. And I have to say, I felt a little bit let down by it. Mm. Um, It's it's obviously a follow-up to the all-conquering normal people. um, And like her previous books, it's very character-based. It basically follows three friends Eileen, who works in Dublin for a literary magazine. Alice is her college friend who went on to become a big star of the literary world. And a lot of her story actually echoes Sally Rooney's story herself in terms of like she had this big major novel. She's in her 20s and it was hugely successful. And she's kind of retreated to, Mm. you know, with lots of money to, to work out her next move in this country town. And Simon, who is Eileen's childhood friend, who works as a government advisor, and it basically kind of tells the, their interconnected stories. Um, Alice, as I said, moves to this country town, and she meets a local guy called Felix on Tinder, and she starts dating him. And they have quite a strange relationship, as they both tussle for power and figure out each other amidst their own mental health issues. And then Eileen and Simon have this kind of on-off thing. So it is very much like... In a, in a lot of ways like conversations with friends and like normal people in that it's about relationships of young people in their like you know mid to late twenties slash early thirties um figuring out life. Then the narrative is punctuated and here's one of the problems I had with this book. Um for the first two-thirds of the book the the narrative is punctuated punctuated by these emails that are sent between Eileen and Alice and this just absolutely enraged me these emails <laughs> like they, they came across as seriously pretentious they're written really formally and they both pose this kind of philosophical con- conundrums about life you know they're reminiscing yeah. about their past and like quoting texts of you know like greek philosophers and and stuff like that and 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 catching up on each other's news but like what friends really talk to each other that way you mean they, we they don't
1: mean, email each other these kind of things at all Lauren?
0: <laughs> no we certainly don't <laughs> Eva. <Aoife>, and yeah <laughs> I, I won't go into the emails we send <laughs> between each other but they're like a few notches down from this sort of Definitely. really cerebral Um, the way these characters go on um, and, and with these characters it's so it would be the story of all the friends or one of their situations and then there'd be an email between Alice and Eileen and then it go back to the story and then there'd be another email between Alice and Eileen and they only serve to take the reader out of the story time and time again mm. they really disrupted the momentum of the story for me and, and by the time like towards the end of the book I almost found myself skimming these chapters because they just didn't add anything to the story what what do you think about that sort of stuff
1: yeah I think it's it's such a good point about it kind of bringing you out of the story and I did wonder when I was reading the book like I kept feeling like she Sally Rooney, who like I love, I think she's amazing. She's brilliant. I'm, mm. I'm, a, you know, I'm a standing. We're both really good fans, big fans yeah. of hers. So this isn't certainly any criticism we we make of the book. Isn't like, uh, I think part of that online criticism that she really unfairly gets. Um, mm. but as fans of her previous work, I kept thinking like her other two novels were, you know, novels. You know, they were they fitted into what you I think expect of the form right mm. and then in this book she really messes with that by having those emails um even though she did have kind of bits of i think it was you know emails or text messages in her previous books sorry, but she really goes hard on it here yeah. and like you say they're all about like um you know the state of the world as it is today you know capitalism you mm. know very much like emails you'd expect english students in trinity perhaps to be sending yes. to themselves to each other um you know not all english students in trinity i'm sure but a certain cohort of people would be doing this sort of communication and i wondered if she was trying to like mess with that idea of like the form of a book and that she was maybe kicking back at what people expected a novel to be you know mm. I, mean, I don't know if that's a bit too highfalutin but i feel like no, that i think, was, that I think was you part have a point
0: maybe? absolutely and i mean i mentioned earlier that the, the character of alice is this young successful novelist And I think Sally Rooney puts a lot of herself into that character because Alice is kind of, you know, kicking back, as you said, at her success and she is kind of dismissive of it in a way and dismissive of, like, there's a part in the book that she talks about, um, someone on Twitter mentioned that she deserved better of something or other and Mm. Alice finds this really infuriating because she feels like people because she's famous people have a sense of ownership over her yeah and they don't know her they don't know her as a person so i feel like it was quite like Rune was maybe trying to be quite meta in terms of you know transferring her own feelings about success and, and being a young novelist into this character and sometimes it worked and sometimes it was just really obvious but but like you said I love Sally Rooney's writing. I think she's phenomenally talented and deserving of all the accolades that have come her way. And she is so exciting as a writer. But yeah. while there is a lot to like about this book, it kind of feels like um kind of echoing what you said, maybe she's in a transitionary phase mm. herself as a writer and, and figuring out where to go next. And that's understandable in a lot of ways because, you know, phenomenal success of her previous work must weigh heavily on her as it would with anybody yeah so while I'll 100% read whatever she does next this one left me maybe a little bit cold unfortunately it just wasn't as satisfying as I'd hoped for
1: yeah and you know I think that idea of like the satisfaction you get out of her books that we get out of her books I felt like um Normal People in particular was a book that I really felt like I really connected with it personally even though I didn't have the exact same experiences as the person in the book but I I think mm. a lot of us could really emphasize em- empathize emphasize um empathize and feel those you know those youthful love feelings and the kind of crush and obsession and the kind of confusion of being a teenager and in school and I think there's so much like emotion in that book um that then when you come to this book, there's a lot of the emotion, the emotion for me wasn't there or yes. was kind of cold or removed. And a lot of the, the way she writes in this book, and she, she talks about it in interviews, so it's worth checking out the interviews. She talks about how she deliberately doesn't have kind of any interiority with her characters. you know, the way like you're reading the book and you're like, I don't know what they're thinking. She never describes what they're thinking. She only yeah, describes yeah, what yeah. they're doing. And yeah, so, actually. you know, and yeah. once it hit me that was happening, I was like, oh, what's going on here? Why do I not know what this person is thinking? And yeah. she's, she said in interviews, I think, that um, she did it on purpose, I think, so that because I think in real life, maybe I'm misquoting her here, but maybe this is, this is, you know, whatever, but that because in real life, you don't really know what people are, you know, what people are always thinking, if you get mm. me, that like it does mm. kind of reflect a, a real life state. But so I thought that idea of the lack of interiority was really kind of strange because i do like to an extent knowing the motivations of people at the same yes. time it's not like they were these blank characters where you didn't do you couldn't imagine what they were thinking or you couldn't imagine why they're motivated but then it just meant that when it came to the relationship right between uh felix and the character whose name i forget um alice, alice and felix i just couldn't get on board with their relationship they felt like two people who didn't even like each other never mind anything else yes. and so it just meant that like the sex scenes didn't they just like they'd leave you cold because you were like there's not even yeah, any yeah, yeah. any connection between these people their relationship I didn't couldn't have cared less where, where it went um so I suppose in a yeah on an emotional level I, I didn't really connect with it but I, I did like the ideas and I did like what she 's exploring about the book world, and I thought, yeah, like you 're saying it's so meta it 's really clever and I think if i don 't think she could say that there's none of her in uh, in her mm. characters because like in Alice particularly because she makes some really pointed comments about like the publishing industry and stuff like that, yeah. which I thought yeah. were like interesting um but I know there's a lot of people you know who absolutely adored this book, and that that 's not to say this book can 't be connected with emotionally or adored or anything like that. I just think uh, it's really subjective in in terms of what you get out of it, but Mm. I agree with you, I'm really excited to see where she goes next and I think she's like, you know, I'm very proud as an Irish person that she's a success story from here and that she's bloody well doing her own thing. She doesn't really kowtow to what do people expect of her. That's great, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and like I said, I will also read anything she does because I, I love her writing, I love mm. the way she writes. Um, yeah, it's quite spare. This feels like a, a bit, like I said, um transition mm, good point from maybe maybe it's her her age as well is she 30 yet did she turn she's 30 like she's so young when her, her other novels yeah. came
1: out like oh my god i tried yeah. to think what i would have written like in my 20s bloody hell <laughs> do you know
0: but yeah so Great. love sally rooney just didn't love this book maybe as much as the other two is my verdict yeah, and I'm, beautiful world where are you
1: i'm pretty much beautiful the same I have to Tumble. check out Mr. Tumble.
0: Oh God! Or maybe that. I'll
1: regret it. <laughs> um, so let's move for to- Mr. Tumble to <laughs> Mr. something Tumble. completely different, or is it uh, to Succession? We are well-known as fans of Succession on this podcast. Yeah. We've talked about it before. Um, early
0: adopters of Succession. I early adopters. Say.
1: Yeah, I think you were a very early adopter. I, I came on board a little bit later, but it was still about three or four years ago, so I suppose that's early enough. Um, so here, have you seen this? this the, third, the third series of Succession started about four or five weeks ago there, four weeks ago, I think, in, on, um, on Sky, on Sky Atlantic. Have you been watching it?
0: Yes, I have been. And I've been looking forward to my Monday Night Succession Viewing party that makes it sound a lot more exciting but um <laughs> yeah I I couldn't it's been so long since the season two um finished or maybe it hasn't been so long but it feels like ages I couldn't really mm. remember what happened at the end of it but maybe you can recap um where season three picks up
1: yeah I was similar to you in that like it had been ages and I think that succession which is in, like we said, into its third season and it's really like set up kind of what kind of a, a show it is. You know, if people don't know it, it's basically like a black comedy slash drama. It's about um, the family who are the owners of Waystar Royco, which is this big uh, kind of global company. It's like a media entertainment company. It owns everything from um, TV news stations to cruise ships, which becomes quite important in this season. Mm. And the first season, Logan Roy, who is the dad, the head of the Roy family, who's played by the brilliant brian cox um he gets quite unwell and this kind of journey towards who is going to succeed him hence the title succession starts there um the first season was kind of all about him and his health and like he was you know mentally maybe not doing great and all of the pressure on the family and then the all of the siblings um you know kendall roman um shiv who siobhan um And also Connor, they'd be kind of battling it out, trying to see where they could get in in the family. And then meanwhile, you have all these other great characters like um, Tom Wamsgons, who's Siobhan's, who's Shiv's husband. Cousin Greg, who's played by Nicholas Nicholas Braun um, and Marsha who is also uh, Logan Roy's wife and you've got a, a kind of a, a crew of people who work very closely with them as well too so you, you meet so you meet all of these people in the first season and then for the second one you're a bit more settled into who they were and they go off on, on a big trip on a really fancy yacht and you see more of their nefar- nefarious behaviour there so at the end of that season um, Jeremy Strong who plays Kendall the second oldest son and it kind of the heir to the throne pretty much or sees himself as the heir to the throne he has got himself in some really bad um, issues in terms of being involved with the accidental death of a young person at Siobhan, I keep calling her Siobhan, sorry, because it's written in front of me, at Shiv's wedding <laughs> to the very weird Tom Wamsgons. Well, um and so his dad knows about this and kind of has this over him. And so you expect by the end of season two that Kendall is going to do whatever his dad asked him to do. And meanwhile, as while this issue is happening with Kendall, there are a lot of issues happening in the company around um, kind of sexual misconduct on their cruise lines and that all comes to a head, and Kendall is sent out by his dad to kind of, you know, say mea culpa, like to fall on a sword, basically, and take the hit for the company. But at the very end of season two, he decides that is not what he's going to do. And in the last probably five minutes, he actually throws his dad off the bus um, instead, and he doesn't take the responsibility. And he basically says, you know, my dad's responsible for this company being um, a bad company. So season three is all about the fallout from that because Kendall has moved himself away from Logan Roy, has set himself up as a like, I want to lead this company and I'll make it a better company, move away from all this cru- cruise ship stuff. And meanwhile, his siblings are trying to decide, will they go between, like, will they pick Kendall's side? Will they pick their dad's side? Their dad really does have all the power, so should they stay close to him? And the kind of coterie of people who go around Logan Roy, um they also have to decide what they're going to do in terms of making him look good, I suppose. So that's where we were at the start of season three, where they arrive back on their holiday. Kendall's done the TV appearance where he threw his dad under the bus. I said off the bus, but under the bus is as bad, I suppose. Um, And we're going from there. Like I find the first two episodes of it did a lot of like the same stuff. And it wasn't really until the yeah. third episode where Kendall and his siblings all meet in Kendall's ex-wife's apartment, which is a very, very beautiful big apartment in New York City, um, to hash things out. It wasn't until they did that and things started to happen around the company and whether the company would be investigated for all of, you know, its perceived crimes or its actual crimes, that was really only when it started to kind of take off for me in in episode three. Did you feel similar or were you
0: kind of, would you disagree? No, I I completely agree. It was kind of slow to get started, wasn't it? There was a lot of setting up um, stuff and Kendall was kind of setting it with stall and there Mm. wasn't much necessarily happening. But I think what's great about a show like Succession is that even when there's not necessarily any big drama happening, the writing is so good and the acting is so good um, that you're, you, you, you're going to stick with it anyway. Um, one yeah. thing that I noticed, um, Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall, like he is such an amazing actor. And yeah. like I've said that before in previous seasons, he's really, really good. And all the actors are absolutely superb. But in this season, he's really come into his own. Like, an, the first episode, he was, I can't remember what he was doing. Maybe it's actually the third, well, it, at some point anyway, he's in the um, the um his ex-wife's apartment and he's kind of, like, figuring out what to do and, and he's really, almost manic. Yeah. Um, in, and, and he's, like, talking to his lawyer and he's saying, we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do this with this PR firm. And it's just, he's so cringy the way he goes on. <laughs> And it's like, can you not see yourself? But he, he's also so vulnerable. Totally.
1: Um, such a mix of like, you, you just kind of want to go actor. with your shut up. But also, do you want to hug? Because you seem yeah. really sad.
0: Yeah. He's kind of a little lost boy. He just wants his dad's approval despite his big moves sort of thing. Mm. Um, so like that's it, it's just really it's such a well-written show. Um, even though it's it's slow to get started but yeah. uh, i think it's the most recent episode i won't i won't spoil anything in case everybody's not ca- caught up on it yet but um something happens um that you think oh my god is this sh- series going to take a, a seriously unexpected turn wow um yeah so it's worth it's worth sticking with because it does get quite dramatic in season and episode 4 brilliant um, but it's 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 such an enjoyable show i just love it
1: I do too. I think like the writing on it is so brilliant and I think that combination of British and US writers who, who work on it mm. is the real key because um Jesse Armstrong, who's one of the people behind Peep Show, is one of the is the guy who basically created Succession and he has English writers and he had like I think Georgia Pritchett is one of them who's really funny. Um and American writers on it as well too. And I just think that humor works really well because it's got that slightly arch kind of knowing side to it, where you know you're watching this kind of black comedy that you're used to seeing on the kind of British screen um, through things like The Thick of It and stuff like that but then you also have that American drama and like this mm. super rich lifestyle and they really yes. get into all of that you know so you get like this real juicy like what it's like to be super rich and then the oh god let's laugh at these people at the same time where we're doing it it's like a really I don't think there's yeah. anything else on TV with that tone to it it's like really hard to describe isn't it but yeah I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes and I do think Roman uh a Roman play by Karen Culkin is one of the characters who's really getting to come into his own, I think, in this in this season. Um, and yeah. I do think going back to what you're saying about Kendall and the kind of daddy issues stuff, like obviously the whole point of this show is that the dad is like is a tyrant and that these children are all cowering under him in their own ways and yet are also buying into this idea of power and money and needing to be part of yeah. it. So we all kind of get that. But I really thought at the end of the third episode when Roman is faced with his dad and has had... This isn't really a spoiler, but he's basically lied to an interviewer about a memory he had of his childhood, a lovely memory involving his father. And he has to tell his dad, like, oh, yeah, I told him about this memory with you, but you weren't actually there. It was actually Connor, my older brother. Mm. And the dad kind of takes the piss out of him and mocks him. And his reaction to it, like, Roman Roy almost like, kind of cower is physically under that but also has to try and pretend that like haha yeah look at me I'm such an idiot and it really hit me kind of wow these poor kids have the absolute worst set of parents and yet they're so desperate for their love and attention it's actually so sad and very realistic I think a lot of people will have gone through that even if they're not their dad doesn't run a big massive company so I thought that that they they really get capture that very very well um so I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes and I think that third season can be tricky right you know like keeping people on board Mm. but it feels like they are keeping people on board um so yeah the next season we're going to series we're going to talk about is one that i actually don't think i know anything about at all in fact when you put the name down i thought it was a rapper because there's a rapper with this name um as well (laughs) which i kind of find funny funny but yeah tell us this is dave
0: yeah it kind of is about rap um the rap industry in a way it's a well, I've watched a lot of comedy stuff that I'll probably talk about at some point on future episodes but one thing I wanted to flag this month was Dave because season two is on BBC at the moment. Um, it's a US comedy. Um, I hadn't heard about it until recently either. I think the first um, series might have been 2019 or 2020 and this, the second one has just come out recently. Um, I went back and watched season one and it's available on Disney Plus if you have Disney Plus and it's genuinely kind of brilliant. Um, The premise is basically, it's based on the real story of this guy called Dave Bird, who is this white Jewish rapper. Um, He's a real life comedian slash, um, I guess, viral Internet star slash actual legitimate rapper. I hadn't heard of him, Mm. Um, but it's based on his pseudonym, his rap pseudonym, which is Little Dicky, Lil Dicky. (laughs) Okay. Um, and he went viral back in 2013 with a song called Ex-Boyfriend. He has this kind of lonely island buzz about him, although he shuns such comparisons and basically considers considers himself one of the greatest rappers of all time. And Dave is the fictionalised story of his rise to fame, basically. So it's based on his real-life um, story to a certain extent. Uh, he's this white Jewish guy um, He lives in Los Angeles. Season one kind of follows him, navigating his burgeoning fame with his best friend, um, Elliot, who's also his producer. His roommate, Mike, who becomes his manager. His hype man, Gaeta, who's also his his hype man in real life and had no previous acting experience, and he's brilliant. And his girlfriend, Ali. Um, So, I I mean, like, it's just... It's one of those... The episodes are half an hour or, you know, like 28 minutes. Um, It's one of those things that you could just binge like seven episodes in a row before you know it. But it's really clever in a lot of ways too. It's very on the ball in terms of incorporating how social media can make stars out of people and influencers and going viral and all, how all that sort of stuff plays a role in making someone famous these days. Wow. And we see a lot more of that in season two, which kind of, um, this isn't a spoiler, by the way, but <laughs> at the end of season one, Dave is kind of negotiating um a record deal and he um we pick we pick up in, at the start of season two he's basically in korea making this um song with a k-pop star a, a real life k-pop star called cl um so we are led to believe that things have kind of worked out for him but it's not all straightforward as it might as straightforward as it might seem Um, And there's lots of cameos of famous rappers and celebrities in there too, like the Kardashians turn up, Justin Bieber's in one episode, the producer Benny Blanco, who's produced loads of um, big names, has quite a prominent role in season two, and you know, like Macklemore, Lil Nas X, loads of faces that you kind of are familiar with um, turn up, which is kind of always enjoyable as well, playing themselves. Um, And I was just caught unawares by this because i wasn't expecting to like it so much um dave bird kind of um obviously co-created and and co-wrote the series um but one of i guess one of the key things that nails the humor is that jeff schaefer who is heavily involved with with stuff like curb your enthusiasm and, and has worked with larry david and people like that um he is uh the, one of the producers as well so mm-hmm. that might give you an idea of the kind of style and the tone of the comedy and um, the whole thing is a little bit tongue-in-cheek so well, a very bit tongue-in-cheek actually some of it's like toilet humor some of it's yeah. quite risque a lot of the time I was watching it from you know behind my hands going oh my god <laughs> you would never watch this with your parents sort of thing but it's really entertaining and certainly one of the most original comedies I've seen in a while. And it's it's just it's it's funny, but it's also very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just it's it gives a good insight into the music industry in cool. 2021, I guess, and how how things can happen unexpectedly for so-called social media stars and social media musicians
1: that's such a ripe area for like exploration, isn't it? Because mm. I think a lot of that stuff can look really, look a certain way on the outside, but like you're describing there, it can be kind of maybe different or multi-layered when you actually are the person who's who's making it, you know? So Dave, yeah. so where can we watch that again?
0: Uh, season one is on Disney Plus. I don't think season two is on it yet, but season two is on BBC at the moment. Oh, cool. um, so it might be repeated somewhere on BBC, um, or if you can manage to get onto the iPlayer, Uh, not that we would condone such activities. Certainly not. Do what you can to watch. Watch season one if you have Disney Plus anyway.
1: Fab, yeah, such a a massive amount of uh, choice on Disney Plus. I mean, that's because obviously Disney owns um, quite a lot of different uh, companies at this stage, but there's such a massive Mm. amount of content there, isn't there, that you might not expect. I think when you think Disney, you think or maybe not maybe not everybody thinks this but some people would think um, a certain type of product but actually there's loads of different loads of different stuff that they have these days Um, I think
0: it was on fx in the states originally oh there we go excellent so anyway
1: cool that sounds great never heard of that so that's that's always great that's why I love doing this podcast because I always hear stuff that I uh, didn't know about at all so let's go to a show that people listening will definitely have heard of and probably watched because it feels like everybody or most people have watched this show because it is the biggest show allegedly because we don't really know all the numbers on Netflix they don't release them all but they do say it is the most watched show that they've had even uh, surpassing Bridgerton which was out God was that out last year year before last year last year, last year, think, year. Yeah. crikey it's hard to tell where we are these days in the calendar so yes I'm sure people have guessed I'm going to talk about Squid Game are you one of the people one of the millions who's watched Squid Game as well I
0: am I have watched it and um, yeah I'm interested to hear what you'd say about it because I liked it Mm. I definitely liked it I don't know if I loved it as much as everybody else did but what, what what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, so I went into this kind of curious because I'd heard that it was quite violent, you know, the discussion. I'd kind of seen a lot of the discussion around it before I actually watched it and I'm not really madly into kind of violent stuff so I had thought that it was going to be a certain type of show. Um, so for people who might not know that much about the background, so it's a survival drama TV series, I suppose you'd call it. It was created by a guy called Hwang Dong Hyuk. Now, apologies for pronouncing all the Korean names really badly. I'm not too mm-hmm. sure on uh, how to actually pronounce Korean names properly so I'll do my best he wrote and directed it all and his story is really interesting because he wrote it a a good few years ago and he was in really bad debt at the time well his family were having financial issues at the time and he wrote it and kind of wanted to reflect that that is something that's going on in South Korea and it's actually really interesting if you look into the details of debt in South Korea because a lot of the series is about debt and about what people do to get out of that. Um, I was reading an article in the Guardian that was saying that household debt in South Korea is basically equivalent to more than 100% 100% of the country's GDP which is just wow. absolutely huge like it's just a massive issue there so mm-hmm. I think when you know the background to it it's really interesting to see what he decided to do with this concept um, and famously he brought it to lots of places and it didn't get anywhere and then Netflix were deciding at a particular time to try and expand their um, international we'll say offering like the non-English speaking offerings so he managed to get in and get his show onto Netflix now the second part of that is that there seems to be kind of a narrative of like, how did everybody start watching Squid Game? You know, it just became a thing out of nowhere. I don't think anything ever becomes a thing out of nowhere, really. I'm not sure what happened in the background, but it did get obviously filtered up into people's choices because there's loads of stuff that you don't necessarily get shown in front of you in in Netflix because of all the algorithms but people around the world were able to watch it and really fell for it um and i think the i think there's a couple of reasons why after watching it i think one is that like it's really um great at setting out the characters i thought that you really get a real sense of who the characters are some of them are kind of archetypes or whatever but they're just really good the acting i think is really good in terms of the except for one section that we'll mention later on Um, and acting is really good in terms of all the main characters they're really sympathetic people or they're terrible people and you don't feel sympathetic you don't feel sympathy for them but you get why you're doing what they're doing or you just kind of hate them because they're terrible and they get worse as the series goes on so it's really good at, at giving great characters. The setup is really interesting because it does a weird little twist in the at the end of the first episode that you don't expect is going to come and it kind of clashes with your idea of what you're expecting how you're expecting the series trajectory to go so I thought that was really clever and also people do like seeing you know perilous things perilous games where people potentially might die Um, unfortunately we do like watching these things and what this series does is it uses children's games so this like paragon of of innocence as a way for people to then be like killed like shot dead or whatever so it's really, it's really kind of mixing like you know, good and evil all the time. Um, the way the Squid Game works is that there are 456 players. They're all in really bad financial debt and they're willing to literally risk their lives to play this mysterious game. Usually what happens is that they get approached by a strange man, a you know, good-looking guy in a suit um, at a train station or somewhere. He gives them a card. He offers to play um, a game with them, this kind of a, a Korean game where they have to like hit... Uh, piece of paper I think and see if it'll turn over on the ground and if they lose they end up having to you know give him money or take part in Squid Game and all these people 456 people agree with him they'll take part they wake up after agreeing to do this dressed in tracksuits and in this big huge dormitory and then they're told they have to take part in different games and as each person dies in it because people do die throughout the whole series the fund of money that they could potentially win or the one winner will get becomes bigger and bigger and bigger so there's an incentive for them to to watch other people die so it's really um really grim but really interesting in how it deals with that i overall really liked it i didn't think i'd like it as much as i did um the ending it goes some interesting areas that we won't spoil i thought it dragged out the ending a little bit um mm. i thought by the last episode i was like okay get to the point yeah. but you know, that at the same time, I thought the build up to that was really interesting. And most of the episodes are really, really good. I really liked that it had a character in it, Ali, who is a migrant worker from Pakistan. And I just thought his story was really sad and really interesting. And it was really great to see him in series too. I thought that like just was really great insight into like all the characters are giving great insight into Korean society for people who don't know anything about South Korea Um, the one bit that I didn't really like was the VIPs I'm presuming they're who you didn't like they again this doesn't spoil anything but these are characters who appear towards the end of the of the season and the acting they are English speaking characters and the acting is pretty bad and they all know because there have been articles written about how bad they feel about the fact people hate their (laughs) acting um, so I think that kind of covers the general look look at it but i i yeah, it's really brightly coloured it's really kind of weird that it matches children's stuff with death i mean did you like what, what about it did you enjoy or what about it? did you not like
0: i i like it looks brilliant like you said this the style of it was like the colours mm. the you know all that stuff um looked brilliant. The games themselves were mostly really really good. the episodes with games i yeah. think maybe around like once the, the setup was established with the main character, whose name I can't remember now. Xiong uh, Ji-hun. Right. Once, once his, and he is the main character, so you go into his backstory more than um, anybody else's maybe. It, it just seemed to be too much of a setup for him. And then after that was established, there was a couple of episodes that were quite slow. Like the first, yeah. the first game, which is the um, red light, green light one where the thing turns around and you have to run while its back is turned. Um, that was really good. And then mm-hmm. it seemed like it was ages until the next game and it was kind of like, there's too much backstory here, let's get back to the actual squid game thing. Um, But, you know, that's nitpicking. Generally um, the pacing was a little bit off, but it was mostly good and I think it could, probably could have been like an episode shorter than it was because, like you said, the, the ending did drag a little bit um, but overall, uh, really good. And, you know, like you can see how it borrowed from from films like Battle Royale and, and that sort of thing. Yes, um, definitely. But there's nothing wrong with that either, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and I agree about uh he Hoon, the, the character, the main character are talking about there, that like uh, what I didn't really like at the start of the series was his initial storyline i agree with you felt like really really obvious and his acting felt really over the top and yet mm. as the series progressed he got better and better and more like lived in as a character it was really interesting That's um true. yeah yeah but i do wonder if this series was actually more mainstream and a little bit more melodramatic than we might appreciate so maybe if you're watching in south korea the vips would fit in with the general tone of the show in a way that maybe doesn't come across to us in english-speaking countries or like in ireland where we maybe wouldn't get every single word the same for example in because we get a translation we're we're listening like we're listening to it and reading the words and and trying to make sense of what they're saying that way um and the acting generally seemed good even though some of it was quite over the top so i just wonder if there's a little bit of that that actually might be missed in translation a bit you know Maybe. or where it fits into other tv shows in south korea so not i don't mean that in a criticism way at all but it just I kind of i'm intrigued
0: mm, different um cultural um touch points and stuff as well i suppose yeah exactly re- we just might not guess. um but w- one thing about the vip is actually not to go on about this but <laughs> the on, most on annoying same, people yeah <laughs> on that same note i did read um a theory that the translation because they speak English in the in the show the translation of their script um was from Korean to English by whoever the the guy that wrote it was Korean okay. so it was translated I don't know I'm not going to say put it through Google Translate or anything but it just might have been translated without the nuances the language that might have been you know in Korean so they didn't have a lot to to work with in that respect what the acting was Quite bad, but um, look, it was it was forgivable at the same time. It yeah, was, they're only yeah. in it for an episode or something.
1: <laughs> if people haven't watched it, um, I think it's, I think it's well worth watching because it's a talking point. I think there's a lot of it to enjoy. Um, it is you know i I found that i really was craving watching it at the end of the day because it was just that little bit of escapism even if Definitely. it did have kind of violent violent bits in it and i really mm. liked the characters and it really sets itself up for a series two and there will be a series two as well um so that was squid game and people can of course watch that on netflix so let's go to our two albums of the moment shall we say two radically different some might say and yet maybe they have stuff in common we shall see um what is your album
0: my album is Abba's new album, Voyage, um, an album that has been mooted for years and years, if not decades at this point. Like, did you ever think we'd actually get another album No. by Abba? I certainly didn't. And to be honest, I, I don't know if I was entirely sure that I wanted one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, see. Abba are one of those bands, so many people across so many generations feel an emotional connection with their like, you know, undoubtedly one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. And, you know, if if you don't, I, my rule of thumb in life is basically don't trust anybody that doesn't like ABBA. So, for <laughs> it's a band a like rule. that, it's a good rule. You know, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. So, for for them to put new music out into the world, there was always a danger that it damaged their legacy as with any classic. In I'm I'm doing air quotes <laughs> band. Um, but on, on the other hand, you know they're they're now all in their seventies. They're still all with us, thankfully. So why not? And Voyage is their first album since 1981's The Visitors. So to put that in perspective, you know, Agneta was 31 when they last did an album. Oh my Bjorn God. Bjorn was still only 36.
1: What? I didn't even like, think of it they, that way at all. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: What? It's mad. And they split up a year later. Like uh, Bjorn Ulvaeus was 37 when Abba split up. Oh my which God. Which is kind of depressing considering how much oh incredible gosh. work they did in the early part of their lives before either of us were even born. I know. Um so I guess the biggest question is, is the magic still there after all this time with voyage? And, you know, I think it is. I've spent a couple of weeks mm. with this album now and it's a huge grower. Have you actually heard it yet?
1: I'll be honest right I've listened to a few songs on this um I didn't love the first song on the album and yet it kept getting stuck in my head so I was like how yes. can you not really love the song and yet the melodies which ABBA are famous for and the vocals are there in your head all the time and I think I felt also a little bit weird about like them being in their 70s and bringing out an album and was it actually just not going to be that good like I kind of hate when people come back and maybe yeah. like swing out a second career and then miss because I feel a bit mortified for them that went yes. a bit too deep into it, I think. But so I'm glad to hear that you you think it re- rewards those repeated listens, as they say.
0: Yeah, definitely. I like. I had the same fears that they were just going to, like I said, trample on their own amazing legacy. Yeah. but It is a grower, and like the first listener to, I find myself raising my eyebrows at a couple of songs. Like it, it is undoubtedly, you know, pretty heavy on nostalgia and sentimentality mm. in parts. Yeah. There's, there's a there's a song called "Little Things" that is a, an out now Christmas song and. <laughs> you know, it it talks about kids smiling as they open their presents by the tree and stuff like that. And I I was just listening to it going, Oh God, guys. Um, But then later on, there's some really interesting stuff. They go to, you know, more melancholic places with songs like keep an eye on Dan, which is about a kid whose parents are divorced basically. and, And from the parents perspective of, of dividing their child's time between them. Um, and there's a really good balance of those sweeping, big, epic pop songs that they're so famous for, with those big, hummable melodies and the big choruses, like "Don't Shut Me Down," which yeah. might be the song that you're talking about that just gets stuck in your head. And and then there's some really nice ballads. It certainly keeps things interesting as a as a listener because you know you want to mix. You don't want even a band like ABBA to just do one song. After next, that's completely the same. Um, so there's different like tempos, there's different styles, but they don't change it up too much. I mean, it sounds like an ABBA album at the end of the day because they have such a distinctive sound. They yeah, have such time. a distinctive style and they haven't reinvented the wheel for this album. But they didn't they didn't need to, you know, like there's a few little nods surpassed, even in a couple of songs at the end of one song. I can't remember which one specifically, but there's a little piano riff that's the piano intro to SOS. And another one has, um, you know, an intro that sounds like the star of Fernando. So they they kind of have these little subtle nods to the past. Um, and I'm really relieved they didn't go down the route of working with, you know, some young producer or mm. shoehorning some special guest in somewhere. This is just straight up ABBA doing what they know best. And, you know, if this ends up being their swan song, which it might well be, it's a fitting end to... Uh, remarkable career together and an unexpected one after 40 years nobody expected it and I'm just glad that it's not terrible you can quote me on that Bjorn if you <laughs> want you can use that on a poster I'm just I glad sh- it's not terrible I'm just
1: glad it's terrible it's like damned with faint praise I know I'm only joking it's clear that it's clear though that that there's a lot to it and that like it is really enjoyable to listen so I I'm, I will go back and I will give it more time yeah. um because like yeah they I mean they're, they're an iconic band it must be pretty amazing to be to know that you've had that kind of a legacy you know yeah. um so yeah let's go to our final thing on the pod this week um and it's the album Hey What by Low. or would, would you be a Lowe fan?
0: Low are a band that I've never really gotten into um not because I don't like them or don't think i like them i just have never given them time i guess What mm. what's a good starting point before you talk about the new album yeah where would you recommend starting with low
1: okay that's a really good question um i'm just looking at the list of their albums there in front of me i have their wiki wikipedia open just to make sure i don't forget do you know I think they're kind of they're a band who are... So their first album came out in 1994, um, so they've been going for a long time. They are a band who are both really consistent but also really good at changing up and doing new things, right? So it mm. depends on whether you want your entry point to be at the early part of their career with I Could Live in Hope, for example, which is their debut, which I think is a really nice intro to them because it's really what they're building on all the time, which is a minimal, slightly shoegaze album. So it came out in 1994. So if you're thinking about that era, you know, My Buddy Valentine, mm. um, Duster, I think Duster came out around the time, bands that were making really minimal music and, you know, like the Cranky label, people who are on that label. So I think I Could Live and Hope is a, is a great place to start if you want to get the absolute basic, this is where they come from. Secret Name, which came out in 1999, if you don't want to go for the very basic, then Secret Name, that album came out on Cranky, which is a really great record label in the US. That is a really great entry point to them too, because it sees them moving on another little notch, I think. Um, and you really get like Mimi's Mimi Parker and um, Alan Sparhawk are the two main members of the band, they're married couple. Um, you really get Mimi's vocals coming to the fore and some really stunning songs on that. Then if you move into the latter stage of their career, you have Um, albums like uh, or sorry the middle career is like the great destroyer which i think is really one of their most pop albums so if you want their pop side you can go there and then their latter side they start getting more into the current stuff which is slightly which is a lot more distorted but their slightly more distorted sound comes on ones and sixes where they start bringing out more of an electronic element um into their music so i know that's just telling you four different albums to start with but i think like where i started listening to them was the album that came out in two thousand and two, Trust, which is also a great starting point. Um, which I picked up in a record store. I was like, I hear it. I've heard this band are good. Don't know anything about them. Uh, I think it was about the year that the album came out. Maybe the year after, and just fell in love with what they were doing because they have such a great grasp on melody. They really come from a lovely minimal background, and they just make really m- music that really connects at you emotionally what do you think like they're just such an emotional band and they love music and they love making make, making music and they're really open-minded people like they're great to follow on twitter um they really are happy to like evolve and learn and grow and i just love that about them i'm like a total stan of low so does that answer at all your question in terms of where people should start if they're if their newcomer is to low uh, kind of yeah
0: <laughs> or <I> guess <laughs> now it does and um, so what what's the new one called and where does that fit into to their back catalogue i guess
1: Great so it's called Hey What it came out just a couple of months ago there maybe a month or so ago and what's interesting about Hey What is I feel like Hey What and its previous album which is double negative the two of them to me feel like a pair of albums because they really are big on the distortion they which isn't something that you saw a huge amount of I saw bits and definitely bits of it but they really go heavy into like a like a looser constructed song and more into distortion, and it took me a while to get into Double Negative, which came out in twenty eighteen. Um, it was just a real shift for me in how I listened to Low, and I think I was listening a lot more to their more melodic songs and the ones I really loved were songs that were heavy on the on the the vocals and melody. And it took me a while to come around to Double Negative. And then when Hey What came out, I kind of felt like, oh, no, will I like this as well? How will I feel about this? And I listened to it once or twice and then put it away. And then I bought the record of it and I started listening to it at nighttime. And you know the way when you just have a record that you're just listening to, you're reading a book or you're doing something or making dinner or whatever. Mm. And it just really bedded into my mind. And it's just so outstanding it's just really hit me how good it is um it's a record that starts at a lot of noise and distortion and then goes into really beautiful vocals and melodies like the dual vocals of Mimi and Alan and they are just really kind of plaintive and strong and they grab you and the album goes to loads of different places it goes to really kind of minimal places it goes to like it does a lot of different stuff with sound, but it, it doesn't go too wild on things either. Like it's like this limited palette they're playing with and they just do really great things with it. And I absolutely love it. And it's just it's such a great thing to hear a band going so many decades into their career that still feel like as vital and mm. as great. Um, I do think they're one of the best bands like in the world right now and will always be looked on as one of the great bands because they just are so brilliant and I know I'm gushing over it but I really think they deserve it because <laughs> they're just <laughs> they're just so good um so yeah like I just for people who may, maybe might not know the, the background to the band is very quickly so like I said Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker are the two main members and the current members they did have a bass uh, bassist Steve Garrington who seems to have left in 2020 and I don't think there are any bass lines or well, then maybe there are bass lines in what I'll, I'll give it another listen and edit this out if it's not true. Um, but there's not a heavy bass uh, bass presence on this record anyway. Um, and they've had different basses throughout the years. So they're always a, th- a threesome. Um, and Mimi and Alan uh, are based in Duluth in Minnesota. So they have that kind of interesting background there. They came up in the 90s. Um, they, They're just people who love love music um were part of that slow core scene back in the day and have just kept evolving and changing and doing great stuff and they're going to be playing in ireland i think in april um, as well and will be their their gigs are brilliant they often do christmas gigs as well in in ireland and went to their last couple of ones and they have a christmas ep as well which is a great one to get if you're into your christmas music because it's brilliant so i wanted to turn everybody into low fans and i do believe that you as someone who loves (laughs) loves music and also knows your way around a great melody uh will really find a lot to love i think in low
0: definitely no i'm sold i'm gonna go check them out now this afternoon
1: um
0: and yeah i think that that's us for this month is is it
1: yeah i think it pretty much is um anything you're looking forward to coming up anything you're gonna be you're gonna be watching over the next few days you're looking forward to
0: uh yeah i'm actually gonna try and get to the cinema to see dune i haven't seen it yet and um it, I, by all accounts, it's one of the the sort of films that you should see on the big screen because of the the scale of it. I suppose. Have you seen it yet?
1: I have. Yeah. So we we'll maybe we'll maybe okay. hold all our chat maybe until till we'll, the next month. We'll um, but yeah, I'm really interested to hear what you think about it because. Uh, I had a lot of thoughts about it. Um, I was slightly affected by the fact that a guy a couple of seats over from me was eating his popcorn so loudly I had to block my ears <laughs> at points because it was so oh disgusting. No. It was like... Maybe I won't disgu- go to
0: the cinema then. It was disgusting. I have to deal with um, that
1: sort of I, I know. And they, well, I felt like it hadn't happened in ages but I was like giving him daggers. And then also... <laughs> The cinema left the lights on slightly <laughs>
0: so i hate when that happens Ugh. i was just
1: i was so annoyed when it i said to them at the end i was like you left the lights on a bit and i couldn't i actually couldn't see the screen properly in the last 10-15 oh, minutes because it, it was set at dusk and like so the lighting was completely it made it all look gray um and it was just a bit of a pain so those two things kind of affect it but I, I really liked uh, Denis Villeneuve and i think he does his Denis Villeneuve stuff with this and there's a lot to love about it so yeah. well, we'll i'll hold i'll hold that, that in future
0: and um, um, what about yourself what have you got coming up that year we might talk about sometime? well
1: there's so much stuff coming up in the cinema i can't wait to see the souvenir part two love that film the, the first film so much that i actually cried in the cinema at the end of it uh just loved it it's so good can't wait to see the the new one
0: excellent well we will, we will yeah. go into more depth on on future episodes about both of those things and more so Lots please more. do subscribe so you don't miss any episodes coming up because we will hopefully be getting back to a more regular routine after our hiatus there and mm-hmm. um yeah keep in touch and let us know what you think let us know if you'd like to see us covering anything in particular we're on twitter at get around to a pod no we're get around to underscore on twitter we're get around to a pod on instagram and you can get us on gmail as well get to a pod at gmail.com
1: yep absolutely um enjoy everything you watch and listen to and read over the next little while we'll see you for another episode and it's great to be back
0: Thanks guys, bye! bye. It's fine.
1: It's fine. It's fine.